0: This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the Tracking Board's Launchpad writing competitions. In just four years, the Launchpad has helped 216 writers get signed, 68 projects get set up, 35 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off your next purchase at the Tracking Board with the code PAPERTEAM, all capitals, all one word. To check out the current and upcoming competitions, visit tblaunchpad.com and see how the Launchpad can jumpstart your professional writing career.
1: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, a.k.a. TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore n j Watson. And today we're going to be talking about how TV networks operate with a very special guest, Dana Bramble, who is a coordinator in current programming at the CW. Hello. Hey. And uh, just a heads up, I have a little bit of a sore throat so and uh, a cough also. Very contagious, Nick. You may die in this <laughs> yeah, podcast. You may hear a little less of Alex than
0: usual. I'm sure you'll be very sad. Can you say that less uh, sarcastically, please, (laughs) next time? (laughs) So let's just start with a few basics, Dana. What exactly is a TV network and how does it differ from a studio? I know especially when a lot of them have the same name, like ABC or NBC, etc.
2: Yeah, so networks operate as kind of the entity that puts things on air. So when you're watching the CW, you're watching CBS, you're watching ABC, all of those shows Are broadcast through the network. The schedule is determined by the network. The pickups are determined by the network, whereas the studio works as the production company, interfaces more with the showrunners, the shows themselves, kind of when they're filming, where they're filming, that's, you know, the studio's responsibility.
0: And CW is a network, but not a studio. So how does that kind of work with getting your shows and stuff?
2: So the CW, um, hence the two initials, is co-owned by CBS and Warner Brothers. It was a merger 10 years ago between UPN and what was then the WB. That being said, we can only work with CBS Studios and Warner Brothers Studios, which means any projects that are pitched to either of those studios, are then brought to the CW, so it's kind of this nice, like, symbiotic relationship where we, you know, go back and forth between what they think works best for our demographic and our network, and they'll bring the pitches that um, they feel fit best on the CW to us. So a lot of our shows are an equal representation of Warner Brothers and CBS Studio Productions.
1: What do you feel is kind of the network branding of the CW? How does it differentiate itself from CBS or any of the other networks?
2: I mean, CW has gone through kind of a transition lately with uh, four or five years ago, our president, current president Mark Pedowitz came in. He kind of spearheaded Arrow, which was the first show that turned CW from the quote-unquote teen girl network of Gossip Girl, kind of Gilmore Girls before that, Dawson's Creek, 90210, etc. into what it's known now, which is mostly for the DC universe, and then also uh, now critically acclaimed female comedies in Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So I I think we just differentiate ourselves by being a network for everyone. The uh, demographic has changed from mostly female. We were like 70% female to now very evenly male and female. Our median viewer for Arrow and Flash is about uh, 46 years old. And then on digital... Um, on the CB CW app, things like Riverdale skew to like the 24 to 26 age group. We I'm kind 26
0: of, and I love Riverdale. There you
2: go. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of are in a really unique position because we kind of span everyone's interests, I feel like at this point, which is really nice. And we have a nice broad representation of men and women watching the network.
0: So tell us a little bit about what does a coordinator do at the CW? What's your day to day?
2: So my day-to-day and current programming, so I deal with all of the shows that are on air right now, which we have about 15 shows, give or take. Um, We're in that transitional phase between pilot season and (laughs) everything airing in the fall. I interface with the studios and the showrunners. So basically every day we receive material from the shows. The writers write a story area, an outline, a draft, or you know, as things get into post, we get rough cuts of the shows. Those first go to the studio. The studio gives creative notes. The show will then take the studio's notes, apply them, and then send that material to the network, which is us. And then we will also read, watch, and give critical feedback to the show after that. So my day-to-day is kind of tracking the materials coming in from each show. I personally cover eight of the 15 shows, so that means I'm reading and watching everything for those, just so I can track... Titles, character names, plot points. Uh, we have this large database that is company-wide that uh, my other coordinator and I continuously update with information for the shows, just to make sure everything is updated. For that's for like budgeting purposes, and just so people within the network and other departments are aware of what's going on on the shows. Um, so that's kind of my major day today. Is just tracking, reading, <laughs> being very attentive to every everything that's coming in.
1: How is that different from the development department?
2: So development, they they take pitches. So development's major season is pitch season when people are coming in and saying, "Hey, make my show." Current doesn't do that because our shows already exist. So that's kind of that's kind of nice. <laughs> development also takes shows from their infancy and shapes them into what will become a series. So if you have a really great idea, you have a really great pilot, that's awesome. But how are we going to make that into a 13-episode series? What things need to change? What do you need to develop more with characters, plot lines? What do you need episodically to engage viewers on an episode-to-episode basis in case they're not watching the serialized, like the full series? And so development deals with all of that, getting things to pilot And then once things are at pilot and we've done pickups at Upfront, now we are in the situation where current and development kind of meet. Every network is different. Some development and current departments are the same at networks. um, And they see projects through from pilot to series. And then once they're in current, take care of marketing and digital and all that on the back end. CW has two separate departments, and we kind of do a handoff after the first six episodes of each Mm. new series. So development stays in with us for notes from the first six story areas to the first six rough cuts of each show, and then it becomes just solely a current show. Development goes back Mm. to pitch season, basically, is how that cycle works for us.
1: Is it like uh, giving away a baby? How does does (laughs) the development department feel? uh
2: it, funny. I think it depends on the show. I think sometimes they've like coddled them, and they're like, "Okay, this is this is my project." And other times they're like, "Okay, we're done with this. Please take it away. <laughs> Please." <laughs> I think it depends.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the interactions that your department is having with the writers on the shows and creatively how that all kind of flows?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we just had. Our quote-unquote pitch season, in that the creators of the current show has come in and pitch us the new season. So the showrunners and the other top executive producers usually come into the network. We all sit in a very large conference room. with <laughs> The president and our creative teams, our marketing, our publicity, anyone who needs to be involved in what's going to come for the upcoming season, and they pitch us. And so we have a discussion once once the pitch is over, if we have any questions creatively, where characters are going, things like that, where storylines are going to end up. On a day-to-day basis, when we give notes, we are speaking directly to the writers of the episode and the executive producers. In the case of post, we are speaking directly to the editors of those episodes and the executive producers. So we have a pretty strong relationship with the showrunners, the EPs and the other writers and editors on the show, because we are giving the notes to them directly so Mm -hmm. they can then apply them to the episode that they're writing.
0: And what kind of notes is a network usually giving to them in general?
2: Yeah. So, um, there's always good and bad when it comes to (laughs) notes, The good is this storyline is really strong. This character arc is very clear. You know, we totally understood what you were trying to do here. Not so bad, but the more critical can be, you know, where is the emotional arc for a character? Sometimes just in rough cuts, you can't hear things. Lines come off messy. Some kind of edits can be confusing, especially with action-heavy shows. We'll kind of just comment on if the ADR was good or if we need to hear something better. When it comes to scripts and stories, it's mostly about character arcs and just making sure those emotions are landing from the beginning to the end. And that, that episode has a theme and a purpose that feels like it carries through. So that's kind of where the network notes, you know, mostly, mostly lie.
1: Do you have any uh, advice to people who give notes on a general basis about things you've learned or about things to do or not to do?
2: I feel like the, the, compliment sandwiches are always good right so like my bosses are really wonderful at being like this was super great and really strong maybe don't do this fix this but this other thing was great so (laughs) i think right as a writer your show your episode is your baby so getting any sort of criticism is always difficult and it's from our perspective as the network, it's just making the show the best it can be. So it's not intentionally like, we're not disparaging the actual writer and saying like, what you're doing, isn't working. We're saying, this is how we can make this show, which is our joint product Mm -hmm. better. You know, the show at the end of the day is what all of us are working toward. So I think just like keeping that in mind, let's, what's going to make the show the strongest and just understanding story elements characters and understanding that then at the end of the day, even if you're working on a show that is very action heavy and is about villains or metahumans or whatever, people are there for the emotional arcs and like that grounding of the characters. And that should be kind of at the forefront of your show.
0: Do you find you're often giving input about this doesn't feel like the show or it doesn't feel like our brand and you know, we want to tweak something to make it feel more like The rest of the series are more like what the CW would do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely want to keep things on brand. Our shows are pretty good about understanding where we kind of draw the line. Our president is very unique in that he watches every rough cut of every show. How he has time to do that, I
0: do not know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But he finds the time and he will give his creative input if he feels like a decision, a creative decision does not fit the show or fit the network, and he will put his foot down um, on certain things, mostly major character deaths or plot twists or things toward the end of the season that will affect the rest of the show. But yeah, there are definitely moments where we're like, "Mm, (laughs) this doesn't feel organic to this character. This feels shoehorned in. Is there a reason you're doing this? For plot purposes, and if it there is, is there another way to go about it that feels mm-hmm. more organic to the show?
1: Uh, just jumping back to the pitching process, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how granular is that pitching at the beginning of the season? Is it sort of an overview of the entire arc of the characters throughout the 20 episodes, or is it uh, more granular towards this is episode 10, it's going to be this tentpole, and episode 15 is going to be this one?
2: Yeah, usually it's a more general overview. They give us kind of the theme they're working with for the season. Then we go into individual character journeys, and then they'll definitely introduce the major, in most of our cases, the major villain. I tend to work on a lot of the DC shows, so that's where my (laughs) brain goes. If there are bottlenecks they want to do, they'll tell us, you know, this is a one-off, we'd like to address this issue or this character or this. And they won't necessarily have exactly what episode, but they'll say, you know, around 13 or 14 or this. And they have kind of enough of it plotted out that they can say, okay, this is going to be where the back half of the season starts, this episode, and here, here, and here, and here. A lot of it is characters coming in and out at certain episodes because our casting department is heavily involved in the creative process as well in terms of guest stars, and they have to negotiate a lot of contracts based on how long someone is in a series. If they're a series regular for just one season, if they're continuing on, so they can kind of be like, this character's here for X Y Z episodes. They disappear for this, you know, this mm-hmm. set of episodes, and then they miraculously come back here. And there's a-
0: limitations they're being given. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's a lot of contractual stuff that kind of goes (laughs) into that, that sometimes people outside of the industry have trouble understanding creative decisions kind of have to revolve around people's contracts and other not exciting things. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So
0: so speaking of business kind of influencing the creative side, how much does marketing have a say in those creative decisions?
2: Not, I don't want to say like not a ton, but marketing pretty much takes what the pitch is going to be and then determines the best way to work off of that. Actually, the showrunners have a say in marketing as well, like a bigger say in marketing than you'd expect this season. We had a campaign for one of our shows that the showrunner didn't feel comfortable with and marketing scrapped the entire thing and took his notes and came back with something else so the showrunners actually have a lot of control over what the marketing ends up looking like at the end um marketing i feel like doesn't have as much control over creative but they are there just so they're aware of hey what direction do we want to go in this what are the major storylines that we want to show in our marketing campaign so for instance this season it's over now, so no spoilers. But <laughs> this season of the hundred, the major plotline was: hey, the apocalypse is coming again, and there's going to be this major death wave, and so that's your season, and that's what the poster looks like. <laughs> if you've seen it, it's just this death wave, and all of our characters bracing for that. So marketing is kind of influenced by the creative.
1: How early in the process do they do they come in?
2: I mean, they're in our pitches. Like our head of marketing is, and publicity and digital are are in our pitches, and they're very involved from the get go.
0: You know, we hear about kind of standards and practices chiming in and perhaps you know censoring what goes into scripts. Like what is the purpose behind SNP and what's that like at the CW?
2: Our SNP is also brought in very early. They are all involved in the pitches as well. Since the CW is a broadcast network, we can be fined by the FCC. The FCC doesn't pay attention to cable. They only pay attention to, like, the big four and us. (laughs) So in that case, there are FCC regulations on nudity and violence, mostly. And sometimes uh, they even have to censor some double entendres. Our... I don't want to say our biggest offender. The show that kind of came out <laughs> the gate and surprised all of us was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. The show has a really great relationship with their S&P representative. And there was an episode in season one where there was like a lot of sex happening. Mm-hmm. And our S&P, head of S&P, went to set and was there while they were shooting that episode. Oh, just to make mm. sure there was enough coverage. And... They had enough shots to cut away if they had to certain you know body parts. were not allowed to show like hip or side boob. There's some what? Does the, some does, very scandalous thing they have to cut out. So does
1: the SMP come on set with the red button, and then when they press it, there's a red curtain that just drops <laughs> on yes, set.
2: Absolutely, our SMP is actually they're all very wonderful women. I love all of them. They tend to let things slide the longer the show has been on air. So if you watch something like Supernatural, which is going on its 13th season, the violence on that show is allowed to be a little more gratuitous just because it's almost a system of like, okay, they've earned it. And they know not to overdo it, but in the moments where it's necessary, we'll kind of let them go and know that it's not going to get, you know, we're not going to get fined for something like that. First season shows, the reins are a little tighter, just so you can kind of teach them from the beginning what they can and can't do. And then as they go on, they kind of understand what their boundaries are.
1: So give them an inch, otherwise they're going to have a severed head by the end of the second season. <laughs>
2: yeah, one of our creators loves to kill children and oh my loves God. to <laughs> decapitate Hopefully to in, the in the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, okay this yes and uh we've had to cut that a couple of times more times than i would like to say
0: so we know what kind of interactions the network has with writers on their shows but what about kind of up-and-coming writers who are out there trying to get stuff do you have much interaction with them
2: yeah actually so staffing season is a big time for current i think people don't realize that because everyone is trying to get on pilots but programming, staffs can change from season to season. We have a few shows who always ask their staffs back, who feel like they're in a groove and really like everyone who's writing for them. But a few shows, you know, things are different, creative differences, or writers want to move on to other opportunities, want to go to different shows, and that's completely understandable. So sometimes we do have open spaces. It depends on the show. Sometimes they're upper level, sometimes they're mid-level, sometimes they're entry level. So From the network side, what happens is agents and managers reach out to us, send us material, pitch their clients, say, hey, they would be great for XYZ show. They have a great voice for the CW. Would you mind meeting with them? I've submitted their material to this showrunner. They seem to like them. Let us know your thoughts. So the way that process goes is agents and managers submit usually to the showrunners first and the producers because they have the final decision on who gets staffed. Then they will also submit to the studio and then they will also submit to us. So usually the studio executive who works on that show has also met with that writer and then that writer will come to the network and meet with our executives or in the cases of lower level writers will meet with me and um, my other coordinator, my counterpart. We kind of read the lower level writers, see if we feel like they have the right voice for the network. If there's someone whose backstory is compelling, who we feel is interesting, can add something to the show and then we will meet with them as well. So, yeah, we're more involved than I think people realize in staffing.
0: And does it ever happen that unrepresented writers get an in at the network to meet with people?
2: Ah, i um, sure you get the uh, question a
0: lot from unrepresented writers. Yeah,
2: no. I mean, we – for legal reasons, we're not allowed to take, you know, quote-unquote unsolicited pitches or mm-hmm. unsolicited writers even as favors. Um, we have – People have approached some of my executives or approached me to talk to my executives, and it's just not a situation that pans out. So, yeah, try to get an agent or a manager first um, before you want to come in and and start getting staffed is how that works out.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the, the diversity initiatives that the network has and that, in general, networks kind of put out there? Why do they exist? What's the goal and why is diversity important to networks?
2: Obviously, We're all in Hollywood and we understand that Hollywood was created by mostly people who were white and male. Mm -hmm. And uh, that system kind of continues now. TV is moving steadily forward, I think, in this arena, a little more so than film. Film is always slower to adapt than I feel like television is. So if you look at the networks now, you know, Channing Dungey is the president of ABC now, which is huge. Our president is still a white man, but he is... So invested in diversity because we want a range of storytellers on our shows that is going just to enrich the show, make the storyline stronger, make our characters stronger and more authentic. So if you recently read the Variety diversity report that came out, CW is kind of killing it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 67% of our showrunners are women compared to some of the other not-so-savory statistics that came out of that report. Um, and so our philosophy is if we're kind of already this far ahead, like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep trucking on. So in that case, that means you know trying to get 50% of our directors on every show to be people of color, women of color, or women, and just continuing to diversify those writers' rooms.
1: Outside of diversity, are there any sort of network mandates in terms of staffing?
2: No, no like mandates. We just all of our showrunners understand the value and importance of diversity, especially for their shows. Our shows themselves, a lot of them feature female leads, a lot of them feature people of color in prominent roles, you know, something like The Flash or The Hundred, Jane the Virgin, clearly. So we don't have any sort of quotas or mandates on staffing, but our showrunners are very aware of the network stance on diversity and then then work to make their shows, you know representative of their characters and and just feel like the best people who can represent those stories then get those jobs.
0: A lot of networks have fellowships. Is that something the CW does or is looking to do?
2: We do not have a fellowship currently. Both CBS and Warner Brothers do. As far as I know, that's not something we're, you know, implementing anytime soon. But there are a bunch of fellowships out there that i highly recommend well, especially
1: i think on the Warner brothers end they've uh, the cws gotten in a bunch of uh, people from the Warner brothers fellowship
2: yes the warner brothers writers and directors fellowships actually get usually get slots on cw shows the directors and then um occasionally the writers
0: and so they just feed into there anyway basically uh you mentioned digital before can you tell us a little bit about cw seed and how people can get involved in that
2: Yeah. So CW Seed is actually headed up by our head of marketing and digital. Seed is its own little, like, just like quirky world. It's, it's, very, I don't want to say it's very different from the CW brand at large, but it's a little more experimental and it's a little more, we're trying different things. You know, like Jojo Head is one of those shows where the woman has her camera attached to her head literally <laughs> all the time. And it's just like a little jarring to watch, but it is this brilliant kind of idea. And you see her world from that perspective. So yeah, Seed again, doesn't take unsolicited work, but I'm not sure how their pitch process works, but our yeah, head of marketing and digital kind of heads that up. So if any of the listeners have representation, tell them to reach out to CW Marketing and get those seed pitches in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you touched on a few of these things earlier, but let's just say a writer has a great TV pilot script. They have an agent and a manager and they want to get it onto air on the CW. Just briefly run us through the process. It kind of has to happen before that, before it comes in front of you guys and you give it a green light to a pilot or a series.
2: So, Again, a lot of our pitches filter through our studios, so uh, the person should, you know, have their agent or manager reach out to CBS, Warner Brothers, development teams, which are also separate from their current teams. They operate with two different departments like we do. So they should reach out to them, have them pitch to studio. Then once the studio says, hey, this would be a great idea for the CW, comes to our development team, and then they will take that pitch. If they like it, they usually put out some money for another pilot revision. They'll buy the idea with a guarantee that like a script has to be written in, you know, X weeks. And once that process kind of filters through, they'll keep working on the project, working on the project, working on the project. We have, I guess, anywhere between like 30 and 40 projects in development at any given time. And then the best six of those get sent to pilot. So it's a pretty competitive field. Once you're, once your project is in development, there's no guarantee it's going to get to pilot. But if you work really hard and keep doing the revisions and taking network and studio notes, there is a really good chance that you can get sent to pilot and then they make those six pilots. And we usually choose three to four, depending on how many slots we have open on the network. We only program 10 hours a week. So it's kind of hard to have, have a lot of shows have more than 15 shows. That's kind of our comfort zone right now is 15. Yeah, and then once you're picked up, you're sent a series and there's your 13 episodes. So that's kind of how that process works.
1: Do you guys also tackle unscripted content?
2: We do, yeah. We have an alternative department. Right now, our three big unscripted hits are uh, Pen and Teller Fool Us, Whose Line Is It Anyway? with Aisha Tyler as the host, and then uh, Masters of Illusion, which is another magic show. So that's a similar process if you are... Head, like part of a production company or if you have an agent or manager, you can contact our unscripted department and pitch to them. That process is a little different and I'm not entirely familiar with how that works versus scripted. We have also done partnerships, really nice partnerships with Seed on the unscripted side. So something that Justin Baldoni's production company Wayfair did was a show called My Last Days that we released on CW Seed and then simulcasted on the network. We also work with cinema on esports initiatives so lots of like last year it was street fighter chasing the cup and that was a simulcast we also recently did a seed series about tough mudder which is like that competition mm, where everyone yeah. like runs through the mud and <laughs> And we had a cw team actually do the one in san bernardino here wow. which is very exciting but that was another kind of we broadcasted on air and it was on seed so that's kind of where our alternatives is going to seed and on air
0: so just taking a step back for a second, how did you kind of end up here? How'd you get your start in the industry? What was your goal? You know, And how'd you find your way to the CW? <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Big question.
2: So I just celebrated my third LA anniversary Congrats. on Ooh. May 30th. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe it's been three years already. I went to school in Washington, D.C., which is a very documentary-heavy industry. D.C. doesn't have agencies. So working my way up through the agency system was not really an option for me and it was also an option I didn't want. Right. <laughs> it was I had heard all those horror stories and was like, maybe this is not a great place for me to be. So I was very lucky in that I had interned a lot in DC at the Discovery Channel and at Ashley Geographic. I graduated December of twenty thirteen and Just so happened, one of my counterparts at like was moving to the London office, and my department, who I had interned for, needed me back. So they hired me as an assistant, a temp assistant for six months to the SVP. So my first job right out of college was sitting at an SVP's desk, which was very exciting. I was there for about five months. They told me they could keep me for the whole year, but after that, they didn't have enough money to keep me on. So they were like, we want you to find a full-time job, do what you want to do. And I had been networking with an executive at Nickelodeon for like two years. And Nickelodeon was like my dream channel. And I was convinced I was going to change children's programming for the (laughs) better. Everything was going to be great. Once I got my foot there, I ended up doing a few Skype interviews with that executive and she needed an assistant. And she was like, you're great, but you're on the East Coast. All my other, you know, candidates are here. What are we going to do about this? And I was like, all right, I'm going to L.A., bye. (laughs) So I walked to graduation, said bye to all my family and friends, and packed my bags and moved to L.A. Did an in-person interview for that job. Got it. Worked at Nickelodeon in animation development for 10 months. Got laid off. which welcome to the industry (laughs) if you i hate saying this but it's like if you haven't been laid off yet you probably will be um it's kind of just the way of the world so that was a big shock to the system it was like i had had my dream job at my dream company and you know what am i doing now i had talked to the sup production at nick she helped me get a pa job on one of the nick live action shows so i did that for about a month because this job at the cw came up Right before I started that PA job and it was just out of the blue, a friend of a friend was like, Hey, something's opening up in current. Like, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. Here's what the job entails. Here are the responsibilities. Like, is that something you're interested in? Yes. Sent in my resume, got an interview my first interview was like two hours long. I met with the girl I was replacing and then already one of the executives I now work for went back a couple days later, met with the other exec, went back a week later, met with the head of the department, (laughs) Uh, did some sample script coverage for them. And then, you know, it took a whole month, but then finally I got hired and two years later, here we are. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was a long process. And honestly, (laughs) what I say to everyone is LA is timing and luck. It's, there's no reason I should have my job based on my past experience. I worked in animation. I worked in unscripted. Now I'm in scripted live action. So that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. So there's no one way to get anywhere. Everyone's path is different. And so I think just kind of you have to go where the city wants you to go and, yeah. uh, you know, where your gut takes you.
0: So you've been there for a while now. You got promoted to coordinate. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what's your favorite thing about working for the CW? <sighs>
2: Oh, I have so many favorite things. Um, (laughs) It's weird to be like, I just really love my job. (laughs) I love our content, which is really exciting. It's so fun to work for a place where you watch all of the shows and you really care about their quality and like – you're excited, like I'm always excited when a new story area comes in, or when a pitch happens, or when a new rough cut comes in, because I'm just like, oh, what's you happening sneak peek before everyone else? I do, and my friends absolutely hate me for it <laughs> um, because they also all watch shows on the CW and want to know what I know, and I'm like, I can't, I can't tell you. Um, and also, just the company culture is really great and really unique. Our president takes walks around the floor every day and just takes a walk around the office. He knows everyone's name. He will come and just address me and ask how I'm doing and ask how I feel about a a piece of material or, you know, get my opinion on things. And so no one feels like the low man on the totem pole. Like everyone feels equal. There's no sense of like, I don't want to say like, there's no sense of hierarchy in that you're not afraid of executives, right? Mm -hmm. As an assistant or as a coordinator, you're like, yeah, we can all talk like humans and we're all on the same level and we're all here for the same reason. And that's something that I feel like is so unique to the CW and not something I've experienced in other places uh, in Los Angeles. So,
1: All right, I got a, the hardest question of all. Oh, geez. Do you have a, a favorite show on CW you like to watch?
2: Jane the Virgin, hands down. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> that show is so smart and it's so unique and it's so emotional and grounded and how they're able to have these like very fantastical telenovela storylines with like really grounded emotional stories within the Villanueva family is just it's brilliant and that's probably yeah my favorite show
0: What about uh, on other networks? And just in general, what is some stuff that you're watching right now?
2: Right now, I'm watching American Gods on Stars. So good. So good. Uh, Handmaid's <laughs> Tale, which is just phenomenal on Hulu. Phenomenal so, on Hulu. Mm-hmm. so good. Veep is a, has been one of my favorites for six seasons. Have you um, ever
1: seen uh, uh, In the Loop?
2: I haven't. I know I need to. It's been on my Netflix list for years. <laughs> <laughs> I will get to it. <laughs> Yeah, especially having lived in D.C. V. Pitt's a little close to um. (laughs) home. It's kind of the one political show I watch.
1: (laughs) Too close for comfort. Yeah, I don't know what that
2: says about me. Yeah, everything's kind of on hiatus now, but I watch How to Get Away With Murder and things to that's (laughs) that's <laughs> embarrassing let's go on on I, tv yes wow like, oh, I final got canceled. season oh right Just it's yeah not finishing up, right. um another great show on mtv that got canceled too soon was sweet vicious which oh, i yeah. was obsessed yeah. with such it was good so good, yeah. yeah it's so 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 good so no. if you can find it online watch sweet vicious it'll no. change your life
0: what do you think is kind of your end goal where would you like to end up in this industry what would you like to be doing
2: eventually i do want to show run Writing was one of those things that I had always done growing up and always was told, this is a skill you have and you're good at and you should pursue this and I was like, "Hilarious. I can't make any money doing this." <laughs> and I um went to college to be able to get a job to then make money. So the idea of coming to LA to be a writer was kind of not in my cards initially. And then I got out here and was like, "Wow, but everyone's trying to be a writer. So <laughs> why can't I do this?" So I think now that I've established that's always what I've wanted to do. And I'm not afraid to kind of take that leap and do it. I just submitted all my fellowship applications <laughs> and, nice. you know, I've been working just working on some samples and specs and all of that. So eventually the goal is to be a writer and then eventually run my own show.
1: Yeah. What, uh, what did you spec for the fellowships?
2: Uh, legends of tomorrow. Ooh, Nice.
0: How do you feel that working in your job right now has influenced you or taught you things about being a writer?
2: I, literally read scripts all the time. So that's kind of the best college class I can have is just working at the CW and doing what I do. Working in current is so, it's so influential because I'm literally reading what writers are producing every day. So that's been super helpful. Listening to my bosses give notes, understanding story, getting more into what makes good characters and what makes shows compelling has been super helpful. And then also just listening on calls to other showrunners being around executive producers, seeing all the things that they deal with on a day to day basis and kind of their personalities and how they manage all of the stress of that job. And seeing the interaction between the studio, the network and the producers is also really helpful because it's like, if, and when I ever get to that point, I'm like, okay, I know to be nice to my network execs, you know, like (laughs) I can see it from, from their perspective now that I've been on that side. So that's been super helpful.
1: Do you have any advice for either writers or people who want to get into programming?
2: Um, network. Network, network. Um, if you're new to LA, definitely join organizations like JHRTS. They will help you meet, you know, your peers, and you never know where those relationships can take you. So I was a big networker in college. I still am now. <laughs> I just love meeting people. It helps that I'm an extrovert. I love meeting people <laughs> and I love being able to help my peers, and also then, you know, see where those relationships could eventually help me down the line. So definitely Mm -hmm. network, take chances, take risks, and love what you do. Like, I hate the advice of like, write every day. No, not everyone has time for that, especially if you have a -a 40-hour-a-week job. Write when you feel inspired to write and when you feel good about an idea that you have. And just do what your gut tells you to do. Follow your intuition. Do
1: you have any resources for our listeners?
2: One of my favorite books about writing, which I don't read a lot of them because I am the worst, is *On Writing* by Stephen King. It's a really great read, and also like you'll just have a new appreciation for him and and what he does and like the craft in general. So that's definitely yeah, that has to be like one.
1: one of the best books on writing ever. It's
2: so yeah. it's so phenomenal, and I just like didn't know that much about him before I read it. And I'm like, God, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wonderful human and no like specific websites but just like read watch tv and mm-hmm. read scripts that you're interested in brian fuller has like every hannibal script just on his website so like just go read them if you have the spare time to read <laughs> them because he is also phenomenal
0: all right well we'd like to thank our listeners for taking the time to tune in uh, you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash
1: 49 and as always you can leave us reviews at paperteam.co itunes New reviews help us get new listeners, which helps us
0: build this awesome community. And once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, The Tracking Board's Launchpad Writing Competitions. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off the next purchase. Just use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout to receive your discount. You can learn more about all of the Launchpad's current and upcoming writing competitions by visiting tblaunchpad.com.
1: And I'm on Twitter at tbcalling.
0: I'm at underscore NJWatson. Uh, do you have a Twitter, Dana? I do.
2: I'm at Dana Bramble 3.
0: And uh, if you, anyone has any feedback, thoughts, or opinions, you can email them to us at
1: ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we are celebrating our 50th episode. Wow. Oh, that, that is, is. insane. <laughs> We've done this for like basically a year. non <laughs> Just every week. Yeah. All right. I'm excited. Do we know what we're
0: doing for it yet? TBD. Still TBD. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll surprise you. We'll see you then. Bye.